one is climaxing, and so is the ITC. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the Pro Wrestling Edition as we hook the leg on the Northern Lights to bring you another out-of-this-world edition of the only show that's sponsored and underwritten by that magical performance-enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell, yes, in fact, the voice that you hear, just about ready to unleash yet another loaded show. As we look back at the fallout from WWE Extreme Rules, including updates from Raw involving Brock Lesnar and Ronda Rousey, and we address the ongoing controversy that is Hulk Hogan's WWE return. But maybe more importantly, if you're on my side of the street, we also get all kinds of fired the heck up regarding the first three days of NJPW's G1 Climax 28 tournament. We're just like Nick Costos's love life. The Silver King and I have tirelessly Tylerlessly, if you will, stayed up all night long. All night long. In order to tell you, the fine listener, what you simply can't afford to miss. And speaking of that Greek fella, you do remember that well-dressed and handsome one himself, right? A modern day sex symbol. He will not be joining us this week, but I did want to report that his return is intimate. And he is all kinds of fired up with his hands inside of that feel house, if you know what I mean. After watching the G1 texting me like wildfire. We are fired up to get into that. But before we get into the business at hand, let me remind you, as always, to do your part in this audio revolution. To prove to us that you are simply all in on all things ITC. I'm all in. Are you all in, Brian? Oh, come on. You know I'm all in. But but I want to make sure that you are. So head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star review. Look, I don't need to play extra Booker T sound drops to let you know how important the five is to the show. So without any further ado, let me welcome in the man who you know as my co-host. Say hello to the bad guy. He's a man who's never met a hedge he wouldn't deny. Yes, he's the Silver King. Adam Silverstein. Hey now, people wonder why this show sometimes goes two hours. Well, when you have intros like that, oh, that's the reason. Gratuitous. Completely gratuitous. And Silver King, good transition because for as much as we try to accumulate that perfect score when it comes to appeasing all fans and driving up the approval rating of the show, you know you can't please everyone. So I do want to at least acknowledge the complaints are coming in. Some people say, you know, this ITC feel I love it. But I'm not a big NJPWG1 fan. And I'd prefer that you didn't go so damn deep on the best wrestling that there is on the planet today. You, you gotta stop. You, you gotta stop. There's others who say, BC, you gotta slow down with them sound drops. They're absolutely killing me, bro. I wanna shut this stuff off! But Adam, those people, uh, they're asking for less of an injection scar from the, from the one and only performance-enhancing audio. They want the Brian Campbell to water down the product that is the ITC and what we present and what we're all about. And I think, you know, this is only one thing to say to them. No chance. I mean, I can't stop and I won't stop. This is how well, we do it. What's funny is I take the time every single week to put timestamps on our episode descriptions, right? Which you can read no matter what uh, app or what program you use to listen to the podcast, if you don't care about NJPW, skip it. It's listed every single week. No one forces you to listen to it. We talk about WWE a good 75, 80, maybe even a little bit more percent of the time. 
So occasionally when we decide to dive into NJPW, and we will be doing it over the next month because it is the G1, it's literally the biggest time of the year for them, we're going to talk about it. Uh, there's occasions where Brian, you know, look, Brian does the rundown. It's his show. There's sometimes a little bit more than I'd like. But listen, we're watching the product. We enjoy it very much. Um, and if we enjoy it, there's a, that's why we're bringing it to you. We're, we're telling you and we're trying to educate you on something that's going on that may not be better than WWE, depending on oh, what you want to get out of oh, wrestling. Stop. But in many ways, but in many ways, it's a superior product. So you should Is be watching it. Yeah, I mean, look. Is that what gets you off? Don't you understand? We get them off. They don't get us off. I mean, that's the thing. We're getting other people off, all right, with the best wrestling there is today, Adam. Don't water that down. Don't hedge it. The, the, the G1 is the greatest thing that ever happened. I'm so damn fired up. I don't know if I'll be in the same level of emotion and raw energy come three weeks from now when it's like mid, burning the midnight you know, oil and it's like I've watched 97,000 matches in the last uh, 15 days. But as of right now, I cannot get enough of this. Cannot well, that's, get that, that's the key. Let's not forget the first three nights and the last three nights are always like this, right? You're like, oh, my God, this is so great. And not, that's not to say the rest isn't. But there are some lulls. Like as we get into this week and the following three, two weeks, three weeks, it does get it wears on you, especially not when you get quality like, lulls, but personal stamina lulls. Because quality too, quality too. They load the front half and they load the back half on purpose. I mean, that's what the ma- that's how the matches are booked. They're booked so that the beginning matters and the end matters, and in between they get you there. So yeah, I mean, yes, quality lulls also. And that's not saying it's bad, but it does take a step back you know, after the first weekend. It's also a little bit of A and B block imbalance that we'll get to in much greater detail, which gives you the opportunity to skip if you want to just watch the, the, the best of the best of the best of the best that we have in the world today. And quote Brock Lesnar, by the way, not Ric Flair, but Silver King. Both of us were able to stream the WWE Extreme Rules card on Sunday night, and both of us, as we mentioned, have been streaming the absolute crap out of the G1 the last few days, and we've done it on a device that makes things so incredibly easy. The Roku, and it's a revolution that you started yourself on this show, Silver King. The other revolutions, you're like, you know, I believe it if I see it. I can't really hear Jimmy so well, but this revolution, you were were the outsider. You were the Hall and Nash, but the recommendation that even that me needs to get in on this NWO has turned me around. So consider your prophetic self, me, Scott Norton, and Rodzilla putting on the white and black to join you. I'm ready for this Roku and where it's going. This is great stuff. First of all, don't ever tell me I don't hear Jimmy, but Roku is top of the streaming game. It is the best thing going in the streaming business. We've talked about this week after week for good reason, because listen, it's the, it just gives you everything you want. And really we, sometimes can run out of superlatives when we like something so much, but I love this device. I've said it a million times. It starts as low as $29.99 for the Roku streaming stick. Literally, you take it out of the box, you plug it into the TV, you connect it to Wi-Fi, and off to the races you go. You can stream WWE Network. You're able to stream NJPW World from your phone through the Roku, along with many other things using that process. There's also every app below, you know, below the sun. Showtime, CBS Sports, CBS Sports HQ, uh, HBO and everything else there is. Look, hundreds of thousands of TV shows, movies, and sports. You can watch it all on the Roku. And the best thing is, it's very easy to determine which one you want to purchase. You go to Roku.com. That's R-O-K-U.com. Take a look at their devices. You have a 4K TV or HDR. They have one for you as well. And start streaming today. Yes, and start getting your eardrums prepared for what's coming to you. The week that was in wrestling always starts with the most important headlines and the main event. This 
So, BC, we're going to kick it off with some fallout from WWE Extreme Rules. You know, I'm going to get on you a little bit because we don't do a lot of instant analysis podcasts anymore, even though I bug you every after every single pay-per-view. I want to get one done, and we really are keeping them to the big five at this point. That said, I thought Extreme Rules was extremely noteworthy, and I know a lot of people were upset at it and and thought it was a bad event. And that really surprises me because it. I thought it was a quality show for three and a half hours. And I just think that we all left on a sour note. So before we get into the details of Extreme Rules, I guess, what was your overall thought on the show itself? Well, I think you kind of indirectly summed up my issue and maybe the issue of others was that it was a good show and it was a consistently good show. And I'll actually give them credit and I'll take this from you because this is something you rightfully sort of harp on sometimes in the way a card is is laid out, the way that it's built to apex at a certain point not you know i mean yeah you have to have ebbs and flows highs and lows but i thought this one was built correctly and what it created was consistent entertainment it was a pretty good damn show but it wasn't great and that's ultimately my problem i feel like when the shows are horrific that's when nick costos is texting us and saying hey guys i got some time my schedule i want to come on your damn show and certainly when the shows are through the roof we want to go nuts on them but when they're in between and you know they could and should be better, it gives you that feeling you get when you're like, man, WWE main roster, why do you underachieve? And this is a season where underachievement is not allowed. Now, that was my Sunday night point. Certainly this week, Raw and SmackDown, I thought were, were really good. I thought specifically Raw was even better. And I, I thought took things in a much bigger, larger direction. But if we stay for a second on Sunday night, look, guys, it's, it's, it's the build to SummerSlam. Last year at this time, we were in between Great Balls of Fire and SummerSlam, and it was hot friggin' fire. But you gotta be top shelf right now. I know that might be an in-between pay-per-view in theory, but it's not an in-between time with the G1 launching, with a lot of we're building toward all in. There's a lot of stuff going on right now, which means WWE is not only competing against itself with things like 205 and NXT for the hardcores, but it's competing with the other brands as well. And that show in the end, Adam, was... Pretty good show. It was like a B, but it it had the moments when it should have become an A, and it didn't. And I think the well, main event it, was it, one of those. The way they built that show, and yes, the card build does matter, and it's one thing that I truly love about NGPW, even though they do a lot of those six-man tag matches that are totally throwaway. The way they build their main event card, their final five or six matches on every show, it's just like a real fight, like UFC or like boxing, from least important to most important. And for the most part, that's what WWE has done now in two consecutive pay-per-views, um, especially especially Extreme Rules. I think what's important is, did it hit our level of expectation? Whether it was an A or a B show or whatever, we went into that show and I said, hey, I think this is going to be a pretty good show. And you were really not that excited for it. And ultimately, I think it was a pretty good show. So it met my expectation. I wasn't expecting a top-level pay-per-view from what we had. I also thought Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley were going to end up main, main eventing. So, but as the show built and Reigns and Lashley come out, I'm like, oh my God, they're not main eventing. This is awesome. And then AJ Styles and Rusev come out. I'm like, wow, they're going to have the intercontinental, uh, you know, Ironman match between two of the best workers in the company main event a B-level pay-per-view. And I was so freaking excited. Well, and then the match totally failed to deliver. Which match failed to deliver, are you saying? The Iron Man match. It did. 
and and I'm get, and I want to get there. Hold on, let me pause one second and ask you something like this. And look, you might rea- react to this and say it's a beggars can't you know can't be choosers situation. But no, we can be choosers. We're kind, we're consumers. We pay for this. We put in the time to watch this. We can be beggars. Would you rather have a pretty damn solid show across the board, which Extreme Rules was? It was like a B quality show, but nothing really happened. Or would you rather have two A plus moments and then a hit or miss C show the rest of the way? That's a worthy debate. I think a month out of SummerSlam, I'd rather have two A plus moments. That's just that, that that's where the disappointment comes in. But there's no reason we should have to choose. Fair, fair. Because right. because that main event could have been an A plus moment. It should have the been. AJ the AJ Styles Rusev match. It wasn't a five star match, but that was a great match. Okay, so they had every opportunity for the final two matches of that show. And honestly, man. Bobby Lashley, Roman Reigns was a very good match. They had chemistry like may- I didn't see coming, the in-ring yeah, chemistry together. It, it totally shocked me. So they had the full potential to have three solid matches on that card and instead completely bungled what went down in the Ironman match, in part not their fault because of the Pittsburgh crowd, and we're, we're going to get to that, but in part because of the booking. And there's no reason that an Ironman match between those two guys, even if you're going to have a DQ fall, which I actually was entertained by, there's no reason that these two guys that put on a 29-minute match on Raw and had one fall would put a 30-minute match on a pay-per-view and have nine. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to just extend that 20 more seconds. I got something to fill in the gap of what you said. It's part of the new model, though, and I think it's unfortunate because the new model for WWE is not build toward the pay-per-view, and that's our payoff, right? Everyone's paying $9.99 a month. We're not. They're not hoping that you know, an extra 500,000 people will pay fifty nine ninety nine. Those days are over. So because of that, and because the TV money is their backbone and what fuels them, they do the big reveals on Monday night after the pay-per-view. We get pay-per-views on Sunday that are pretty good, but they don't further the story to the level that we want. The big reveals come on Monday where they want you to give the ratings that back up the millions and billions that they take in to put those shows on there. Whereas if I'm going to compare it to NJPW right now or even NXT... When they have their pay-per-views, they go 90s level, attitude era, WWE booking of giving you that extra gift. You have an expectation of what you're going to get. They deliver that, and then they give you that extra gift. There's a bonus room. There's a happy, happy ending. WWE pay-per-views don't do that. And I don't want to spend an hour on this, but I think that's because it's maybe business and financially related. That's why I don't get excited for these Sunday night pay-per-views, and I rarely come out of them excited. Sometimes they repair that on Monday, and hey, props to them, but it's a broken model. So you, you mentioned this, or I mean, you're, let me first say, you're 100% right, obviously, but we, meant, we talked about this last week. They're not comparable. You're saying they're pay-per-views. They don't have five hours of weekly TV where, where there's a differentiation. They have one event a month with the exception of the G1, and when I say one event, I mean one important event because they do a lot of little shows here and there okay but those aren't weekly television and the weekly television they do have in the united states is segments from these big shows that they air okay and they are able to split it up over four weeks and get a month of tv out of it so there's really no comparison whatsoever well there is on the idea that there's not you can save a reveal and give it on sunday night like you like 
Look, we're always on WWE for not doing enough in the story, for mailing it in because they know the ratings won't change, the merch is still moving, they want everybody to get over equal, 50-50 booking. So there is a problem. I, I know what you're saying. It's not an Apple, Apple's comparison because if we saw as much content of MJPW than we see of WWE, we would be let down. Of course. It's just like when you go on two dates with a hot chicken, it's the best thing ever, and you know it's going to flame out in the end, but in that season, it's the best thing ever for limited opportunity. You're not seeing the scars, right, so to speak? But WWE can still be better within that. Yeah, I mean, I just think we need to evaluate WWE against the WWE we know and stop comparing it to a brand that is, it's truly different, not just in its makeup and its presentation, but the way it runs its business. You you can't compare WWE to NJPW in terms of show quality when literally one runs a four-hour show a month, most months, not counting the G1, and the other is running five hours of main roster TV a week and a five-hour pay-per-view every month. It's just different. The roster size is different. The audience is different. You know, WWE is not trying to appeal to the same audience that NJPW is. And I'm actually getting sick of every conversation we have about WWE's quality being in comparison to NJPW when it doesn't need to be. Right, WWE's I, got, well, I got bad. one thing to say. To no, that. no, let me finish. WWE's bad for WWE. I'm just curious... When the hell did you turn so corporate? Why would nothing, you protect Nothing them? that I just said was corporate. You're, at all. you're installing a, a, a glass ceiling. You're saying WWE has these other things that they're doing. They're putting on too many shows because they're not greedy. They're smart business players, and they realize they can get the money for it. So you're saying because of that, it can't be as good as NJPW. I'm so not every, saying So that. everybody not stop trying to, to, to hope it is. Well, then you know what? Then we should... Basically, do these podcasts only about NJPW and mention WWE in the last 10 minutes because you're putting a ceiling and you're saying, hey, everybody, it can't be as good. No, it can be and it should be. I'm literally I'm literally not saying that. I'm saying compare. I've already said it and I'll say it a third time. Compare WWE, the bad WWE that we're getting now to the good WWE that we know they can be. We don't have to compare it to what Kenny Omega and Tetsuya Naito are doing in the final in not the finals, the uh, main event of the first G1B block event, okay? That doesn't need to be the case. I want to compare Seth Rollins, Dolph Ziggler to what Seth Rollins, Dolph Ziggler could be that we know it can be, that we've seen it be on Raw. I'm with you. Okay? Then, so then, that's all I'm talking about. We, we have to stop uh, going in this you, direction every time. Yeah, we'll always try to get WWE's back. They We deserve more for the hours and time and money as fans that we put in. That's the bottom line, Stone Cold. Agreed, but literally roster. nothing I said was having their back. What I'm saying is judge them against themselves because we know they can be better. It doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. It doesn't matter what Pentagon Zero M is doing. It matters what WWE is doing. And they are, even when we think they are doing something right, Like, the way this match card was built, you and I were talking live during the show, man. I was so pumped at the way this pay-per-view was progressing. I'm like, they're doing it right. These matches are good. There were things we didn't like during the show. But even, like, the Nakamura five-second title win, I'm like, that's awesome. Like, it was a good piece of booking. And we're building the momentum. Holy crap, Lashley Reigns totally surprised us. Okay, but you can't— And then we fall off. Right, but you can't say only compare WWE against itself when— there's the revolution, and there's an idea that there's other companies trying to compete in the same space, not financially. But, but that's but irrelevant to the discussion of not, whether though, what we're seeing in WWE is good. We can't spend every single topic, this this would have been better in NJPW. Well, you know what? It would have, and so would have Rollins oh, against Ziggler, because what we had an opportunity here, by them making the leap, and you hear the backstage reports that say Vince McMahon was not at the show in Pittsburgh. Triple H was running it, and the original plans... Smelter says we're Reigns-Lesnar. 
And then somewhere along the line that night, it turned to the IC title match. And we both popped at him because we're saying to ourselves, let's take the reins off. And I'm not talking about Roman. And let these guys do an NJPW-style match. And I know you agree with me that part of the problem was that we didn't get an NJPW-style match. Or we didn't get even a great WWE match. We got a 2018 WWE match that was overbooked and ridiculous. And you're saying only compare them against themselves. No, they have to be better based on what's going on outside of them as well. They don't have to have an NJPW-style match. They just need to have a good match. Is Gorgano Ciampa an NJPW-style match? No, it's good wrestling. That's all. We have to. They're well, not it's an indie style match. Adam. NJPW it's an is not some bar that WWE needs to reach in terms of match quality. They're doing it in their own organization, and they've done it in the main roster. You know, this year. I mean, we've seen it, or not this year. The last, this last twelve months. I mean, so. Not everything okay, needs so to get compared to this. Even like, a great WWE oh, the, match, though, is still four and a half stars where we want it to be five, six, and seven, and we believe they have the horses there. We believe and know they have the yes, horses there to do that. but that doesn't have to be in comparison to NJPW. It can just be, give us a damn good wrestling match. I almost cursed, okay? Uh, just give us a damn good wrestling match with Dolph Ziggler and Seth Rollins. If you're going to make the move to put them in a main event and you're going to give them an Iron Match stipulation, let these guys Go. Don't I'm with overbook you on that. the hell out of it. I'm not with you on you when, when you say, well, WWE's got all these hours. That's their choice, all right? Give us a great pay-per-view. I don't care if you, if you have a show every day. Give us a great pay-per-view because that's there's what we no, that, That's what I'm trying to explain. All right, then we're, I don't, we're, we're I don't back like on the same. I, I don't like the comparisons, but there's no WWE has no excuse not to take us ha- – they took us halfway there. They're like, hey, guys, we're going to give you AJ they Styles. The bag. Yeah, they teased the bag, and, the, and then we got the mess. Exactly. They gave us AJ Styles Rusev, right, where the baby face goes over in a fantastic match. And the WWE title still doesn't main event a dual branded pay-per-view, which it hasn't since 2016. And it hasn't without Roman Reigns since 2015. They give us the Intercontinental title in the main event for the, of a dual branded show for the first time in 17 years. And the first time as a scheduled match since SummerSlam 1992. We're flipping out. We're excited about it. And then they give us a nine-fall Iron Man match. And they and they give us a WWE finish of of an unnecessary run and that happened already two times on Raw. Like it's just it's the same crap to get you to SummerSlam. So our only hope now, Adam, is we know we're gonna get warning track power stuff, and we just hope SummerSlam is really great. And I'm sick of being in that. I'm sick of being in this abusive re- relationship where I know they're not gonna come through. And yeah, I'll get a good present at Christmas. That's great, right? When it's uh when it's the big events, but. Why it can be awesome every single week? That's not the debate, but that's what happened with with Rollins and Ziggler. I mean, look, not just what you said—they pushed Ziggler in a main event and he won. We should be jumping <laughs> through the roof and I know. be excited. But just like my original argument about this pay per view, it was good, not great. When they had no reason not to make it great, well, look, the crowd though was a yes. major factor in that. The crowd was a major factor in Styles Rusev. They didn't heat up until the final three minutes when that was a, you said it was great. I thought it was a pretty damn good match if there's maybe a step down from great, but certainly that main event at times was great, should have been great, but that crowd was not prepared to see a great match. We, we don't have to go over what they did, but the, you know, counting down the Royal Rumble clock and all the chants. Everyone has a line, Adam, of what they'll, and we've had these debates on the show of what they'll uh, tolerate from a crowd and say, well, crowds for their paid money can do this, but they can't do this. And everybody has non-negotiables, and I get that. Again, I'm fine if you hit beach balls around because you want to turn a match into a party. That's fine. I'm fine if you boo the crap out of a Roman Reigns main event that doesn't deserve to be there because after three years, you're sick of the product. I'm also fine with that because that forces WWE to be different. But what we saw in the main event on Sunday night was exactly what we saw at SummerSlam 2016 when Finn Balor and Seth Rollins 
had their match for the Universal Championship, and the crowd booed the color of the belt that was debuted right before for the first 15 minutes and, and missed a great match, you know, potentially. And they certainly missed a great match here. There's no excuse, and I'm actually shocked and appalled that the behavior continued to go on because I've been in these crowds before. You and I have sat right near Tim Furiavanti of ESPN when a beach ball came and he grabbed it and ate it with his mouth and ripped it open. <laughs> well, there's enough marks in the crowd here that'll stand up and be like, no, guys, stop that. Enough of that. Enough of that. No one stood up in Pittsburgh. This was an, a, a debacle. They hijacked the show when they're finally given what they want. Like what, like, what else is WWE supposed to do? Like, as much as we just railed on them, right, for the booking of the match with the nine falls, that had nothing to do with the crowd reaction. I would have been, listen, they count down the first minute. They count down at 29 as well. Ha ha, funny. Okay, like, I'm okay with that. Let's have some fun. But they did it 30 times. And then they, they took the, uh, the clock off the screen, which it probably never should have been on the screen to start with. But they took, the, they took the clock off the screen, and these people open up their phones and pull up the WWE app so they can get a delayed clock, and they start doing it on their own just randomly throughout the match. There's no excuse for this. Like, what, what we saw that crowd do, I, I, I actually don't have the words. You used a lot of them. So, you the know, words are, this fantastic. is why we can't have nice things, because you just summed it, it up. We finally get what we want, exactly. and that's what the crowd gives you. And that, that's Like, like what, else, what else could WWE have done to put on a great, main event and final two events, final two matches of Extreme Rules for the fans. They gave us AJ Styles, biggest fan favorite, NJPW star, Rusev, a guy that the crowd organically got over with Rusev Day in a WWE title match. Obviously, Rusev wasn't going to win. Still a good match. And Rusev didn't even lose completely clean because they had Aiden English get involved with the turnbuckle. So they gave him an out. Then they give us the two arguably best workers in the company in a match that we were dying to see. Oh, yeah. People know what it is, but... The point is that then that gives Vincent out to say, well, Paul, looks exactly. like they booed the IC title. Looks like they booed two workers in the main event. They want Roman. They need Roman. They deserve more non-title Roman pushed deep down into the dark levels of their ear hole, past the levels of where the syringe of the performance-enhancing audio can reach. And that's what Vince is going to do. But Adam, it spun forward Extreme Rules into Monday with that opening segment involving Paul Heyman, the the ghost of Brock Lesnar, and Kurt Angle. And this is where I went from Sunday night, not living up to expectations, to Monday nailing it. It set the tone for a really strong episode, and I thought this was the biggest story of the week because they finally addressed the Brock Lesnar situation. When they didn't, it insulted the fans' intelligence because everybody watched UFC 226 in some form. They finally addressed it, and I thought they did it very well tying it in perfectly with Heyman's speech specifically saying about how Lesnar wants to go into the cage, like we talked about on the show last week, with the WWE belt around his waist to represent them. That was genius in how it appealed to Angle storyline. And I just think we're finally back where we need to be, where even though the guys that won the play-in matches weren't what everybody wanted, we'll get to that in a second, it still set the tone for matches that mattered and now a SummerSlam situation involving Brock, where I'm into. I want to see where they go next, where leading up to this, it was full train wreck. What is Vince going to ruin the product just for the money? I mean, you're right in the fact that the segment was really solid. And Angle did a great job. Like, maybe the best delivery he's given in terms of explaining a scenario and rules and, like, a decision that he's ever made, uh, at least since being GM. So that's great. And... Heyman was there and he played his role perfectly as well. 
But the biggest pop the entire night on Raw, BC, was when Angle stripped Brock Lesnar of the Universal title, even though that only lasted two seconds. The crowd went nuts. So what Vince McMahon has succeeded to do is get a lot of heat on Brock Lesnar, right? That was the goal of this whole thing. But the problem is, it's the wrong kind of heat. People don't hate Brock Lesnar. They want him to go away. They don't want him on their television anymore. So what Vince has done is take this guy who's his highest paid superstar, male or female, in the company, and he's made it so the fans no longer want to see him on television. And the pro- the biggest problem with that is not only has he accomplished that, but he, the, the, the effect hasn't hit Roman Reigns. Yeah, No one is cheering for Roman Reigns to beat Brock Lesnar. They haven't helped the Roman Reigns situation. So Reigns has been unaffected. But Lesnar, who was you know supernova hot before, let's say, WrestleMania, got totally cooled off in that main event and is now hated so much by fans that they don't want to see him anymore on their product. That so, is That's true, and that's terrible. actually a really smart statement. I guess the only good I pull out of that is that at least kayfabe storyline-wise, Brock's absence now makes sense. When the UFC element wasn't implemented into there, it was, what the hell's going on here, Vince? Now, at least, it makes sense. So if they want to go the distance in getting Brock booed, now you have a, a reason, an angle in the story to say, you know, you're, you're just chasing money and glory in the UFC. Yet Paul and Brock can say, no, I want to be his two-sport champion, which I thought was really key verbiage there, which was really, really smart the way they put that out. But like, like, is Vince is Vince just playing this whole thing for the one, two, three? Like, they're going to, if they have this match again, and we're going to get into, you know, the potential situations here, but if they actually run back Lesnar Reigns in the main event of SummerSlam in Brooklyn, that match is going to get hijacked just like the one at WrestleMania. So are they playing this off solely so that when the ref's hand hits three, fans cheer because Brock has lost the title, not cheer for Roman Reigns, and he somehow thinks that that's going to carry over until Monday night on Raw? Well, it depends on how much they tease Braun Strowman, how much they work him into the storyline coming in. I mean, we're all going to think he's going to cash in anyway, but there's a way that you can really implement him into that storyline where he's just like, Kurt, how am I not in this match? Like, let's say... Reigns and Lesnar, Reigns and Lashley somehow turn this into a triple threat. You're going to have Braun Strowman, like, I know he's going to be lingering with that case, but there's going to be, if you implement him the right way, then I think you can avoid that crazy booing. Maybe not. Maybe people, maybe, I mean, it's obviously become a thing now where people want to, but as long as they have a clean way to get us out of that with, and when I say get us out of that, certainly, despite everything I said last week, I certainly mean get us out of that means get the belt off of Brock's waist. I'm almost... We're almost so far gone. Remember when Nick was on the show a few weeks ago and he was like, Vince, I'm not even mad anymore. Like, this is, this is so ridiculous. I'm applauding you. We're almost so far gone that part of my intrigue and interest is to see if they figure out a way for Brock not to lose. <laughs> like, it's so bad that I'm almost cheering for it. Well, it's in, in, we're, and that's not a good spot to be, but it, this whole thing has brought me back in a little bit. Well, I do think there's a legit scenario where Brock retains and gets the heat. And then Braun Strowman cashes in Monday night where like Brock does his victory celebration because he is booked and has been announced for Barclays Monday night raw after SummerSlam already announced. So I see that as a plausible scenario, but here's the biggest problem. If this match doesn't end with Reigns pinning Lesnar clean, then that storyline remains out there forever. Like that, they have to bookend it. If Lashley wins, or if Reigns pins Lashley and it's a triple threat match, or if Strowman pins Reigns, 
then Reigns has still never pinned Lesnar, which only to me means we're getting that at WrestleMania 35 or 36 yeah. or 47 or or eventually. I, I think you nailed it. I need this to F and N. I think you just Let nailed it. Let him pin Lesnar. I think Lashley will win because then it allows Vince to say, look, I put the bell on the, on an African-American athlete and all this Hulk Hogan news that we're going to get to in a second. I, it's, oh, it's such a mess. But I want to talk about the spinoff that we got of it, which were two really good matches, and specifically that first triple threat which opened the show. Was he better match than almost every match on the pay-per-view the night before with Roman Reigns winning? And there's an interesting psychology here, and this is what I want to get into, because the, the fallout afterwards was, how could Rollins not have won? And I got to say this, I got, I got caught in the mark zone. They played me so well on teasing all night that Rollins was going to win and that it would be Rollins-Reigns and you know I've been talking forever that I need a real Rollins-Reigns feud. Like, I really need it. And I got caught in like, well, that's a match I really want to see next week. I'm fired up. Of course it's going to happen. They even had Rollins talking about it. They had Michael Cole mentioning it. It obviously should have been the biggest tip-off that they're not going in that direction. But I felt that they were so gratuitously in on this that, of course, they were. And it's obviously building the dream in your heart that Rollins could win and he could go face Brock. And then suddenly you'd be all kinds of fired up for that. He's the people's champion right now. And the people got swerved at him. Now, we do have a message about that. Kentucky Long Rifle. What is that, an email? It is one. It's from at That's Gotta Be Kane. It does. It's gotta be. It's gotta be him, right, Adam? I mean, no, you can't, you know, you can't lie on, on Twitter. He says, in full Adam Silverstein voice, hey now, longtime listener, first time caller, can I just say, I really hope you emphasize just how appalling the decision was on Raw to put Roman and Bobby over four major main event caliber stars. What could have been the best Raw of the year has instead left me infuriated. And I'm not even a Roman hater, but they're making him the biggest modern day heel in the company. Forget Roman for a second. Let's stay on Rollins. Yes, Rollins would have been the better choice, Adam. But because they fooled me personally, and again, maybe everybody else is a lot smarter than me, and that's fine. I like to get caught in the marks once in a while. I like to get into the story. Because they swerved it in a way that I was like, Oh, that's well done. I was fine with Lashley winning, and I was mostly fine because it repaired the hole that Lashley won on Sunday night. So if Lashley doesn't win on Monday night, then Lashley's win over Reigns is absolutely worthless. Your thoughts? Absolutely. No, you totally nailed it. That, that's exactly how I feel. But my biggest takeaway, first of all, I said this in when we were talking during Raw Live. It would have been better, in my opinion, if they stretched it out one additional week and did a mini tournament. Just like a mini King of the Ring. Mini G1? Mini G1, anybody? Well, because then, well, it wouldn't be around Robin, but then you're able to get Rollins a win. You're able to get Balor a win. You're able to get maybe McIntyre a win. Or I mean, that, That's probably too many already for what I'm talking about. But you're able to get these guys little tiny mini pushes before they ultimately lose. That said, the two triple threat matches were very good. My biggest takeaway had nothing to do with Lashley, had nothing to do with Reigns, and it had nothing to do with Seth Rollins. Finn Balor is effing over. The crowd was ready to explode for him pinning Drew McIntyre after hitting the Coupe de Gras. He was awesome in that match, and they do not, seemingly do not know what they have in this guy. He's just as good as, of, of a face as Rollins. Fans like him just as much, and he's just as over. And you saw it in that match, and I, I have to say, I don't want to give WWE too much credit. Yeah, you do. But if they are going to turn Reigns heel, right, him pulling Balor out of the ring, that's a like, and, and getting the pin after that, that's a heel type of move. And 
maybe they are actually going to build up to this. And they're trying to swerve us and thinking we're keeping Reigns' face and, and we're just going by what you guys all expect. And maybe at SummerSlam or the night after SummerSlam, he does actually turn heel. And we get the payoff. Oh, you sound like for... me three weeks ago. I was somehow convinced that that's where we were going. Yeah, I'm not convinced of it. I'm just saying, like, Balor was so over. Yeah, but, but you, would, Reigns you wouldn't put him to... in that position. You wouldn't put him in that position. Reigns tried you know to kill I mean? a guy once, though, with a, with a ambulance. That's a heel move, you know? Did we just forget that ever happened? We're just, yeah, Braun, we're just... Braun literally did try to kill Kevin Owens on Sunday night as well. <sighs> well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fair transition here. I mean, we've been down the Roman rabbit hole many times. We, we don't know what they're going to do. We hope we hope a lot of things, but everything is stuck now. I'm, I'm just happy where we are going right now. Yeah, it should have been Rollins to just to wrap on that, obviously. But WWE's not going to reward the... Uh, you got your reward with Rusev in a title match, all right? So transitioning to the last sort of big headline out of Extreme Rules that actually wasn't that big, Adam. And this is ultimately the debate. Braun Strowman throwing Kevin Owens off the top of a cage through a table. Was it worth the attention it ultimately didn't get? And what I say is because... It just became another moment in that card. Maybe because we've seen Shane McMahon do it a lot lately, but that wasn't a main event. It wasn't a title bout. It was barely a grudge match I cared about. And you want to talk about NJPW too too many moves that could break a man's neck. And yes, that's true. This move could end your career just as quickly. I mean, this was worse than Mick Foley 20 years ago. I know it's 20 years ago, but Mick Foley, when he was thrown off the cage, maybe took a, a, a less disturbing bump than this it's comparable no are you kidding me it's comparable no. first no first of all he landed perfectly the top of the desk i think was off oh then there was a the padded air- desk these days yeah and yeah. dude and there was an airbag under the desk you saw it when he landed so come on i mean it, it's it's not comparable outside of the distance and the type of move it was but, but my point is that that did point feel in that match stole the night stole the show this didn't steal anything but this was probably steal years off his career it, it felt unnecessary and wasted not and that doesn't mean i didn't love it i loved it i popped huge in the moment i also liked that kevin owens won the match so i got my prediction right there that something like that would happen and give him the win but ultimately if they had that as the second match to a main event in a single branded raw card great but it was like the sixth or seventh to last match on the show that's a big moment like you don't just throw that away you know in something like that so I totally enjoyed the match. Kevin Owens completely entertained me with the crotch chop, the Stone Cold Stunner, the CM Punk waving goodbye, and then obviously the homage to Mick Foley off the top of the cage. It was fantastic. I was totally entertained. It was one of the best things I saw on the show. All right, my comparison wasn't perfect. The way it was used felt unnecessary. But you pronouncing it Coupe de Gras wasn't perfect either. So let's, you know, we can can move on. Coupe de Gras, whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. All right. I said homage correctly, so who cares? Let's get into the second level of the main event this week and a story that really has a lot of legs and really crossed over a lot. And it's that WWE kind of out of nowhere. I say out of nowhere. We knew it could be coming. There'd been hints, but it fell out of nowhere. Reinstating Hulk Hogan to the WWE Hall of Fame. The follow up was Hogan reportedly meeting locker room backstage, the entire roster and emotionally apologizing. The reports are that there wasn't cameras that recorded that, but enough people have gone public to describe the situation. Adam, um, I'll, we'll get into a minute what's, what some of the superstars have said. This is such a tough situation because you got to understand if you grew up when Hogan was God and you, I'm, when you're six years old, I mean that. And I know some people grew up in the 90s when when, you know, washed red and yellow Hogan was still God. But there's a different level of like 84, 85, 86 God Hogan that there's a feeling almost like he's a, a member of your family. So 
when this happened and he lost everything for something that was completely appalling, of course there's a natural knee-jerk reaction. You want to see him come back. I thought he was going to come back in Orlando two years ago at Mania, and I really thought it was time, and I thought as long as he handled his business behind the scenes perfectly, it was fine because my sympathy, and it's not a white or black thing, but my sympathy in situations like this, any bad situation, is that when somebody loses essentially the rest of their life for one really crappy decision, you feel for them. And he had, there's no excuse for what he did, but I feel for anyone who commits a, a crime or does something like this and, and they lose everything for it. Papa John, this dirt hole. Yes, yeah, same thing. It's just like, and I know there's this, the, the, the deeper legs to this is it's not a one-time incident most likely, right? Like that's ultimately the problem. But a couple times in this last aftermath of the last three years, I'm like, man, you know, wrestling fans don't know wrestling without Hulk Hogan. I want him back. I want him to have that chance to get his, to repent and have his, you know, his fa- his final phase on the roster. But when all this news surfaced and I go back and I make sure I reread the original quotes and listen to the sound and make sure I'm not, you know, mishearing again, man, is it appalling what he did. So with all that said, man, is it like, especially in 2018, what you know, how supercharged we are politically for the right reasons, by the way. I'm not saying only in 2018 because we're so politically correct. No, we're, we're rightfully politically correct in 2018. So especially in light of that, it's absolutely appalling to the point, Adam, where do, should he be back in the Hall of Fame? To me, yes, because it's kind of like a Pete Rose situation. But should he be back on TV? I, I, I don't want him back anymore. I think that's the ultimately the right way to put it in context. And I know there are some people who think he never should have been removed from the WWE Hall of Fame in the first place and maybe just marginalized and kind of not mentioned, right? And maybe in retrospect, that would have been the best move. I mean, on one hand, you need to punish someone for doing what he did and stripping them of honors is the best way to do it. But had they never removed him in the first place and just fired him or ended his legends contract, so they're still able to make a big public stance, but he was still in the Hall of Fame for his wrestling achievements, this wouldn't be an issue now. They wouldn't have had to reinstate him in. You know, the he could have made a one-off appearance with the company or done some charity work alongside WWE, and they could have gradually worked him back in. Instead, they were forced to send a press release out, basically, stating that this guy who said these things and did these things we're welcoming him back into the company. Yeah, that's so a good it's a point. very difficult thing to parse. And ultimately, I think I stand with many of the black performers in WWE and their comments on it. And really, we'll run through them quickly. I'm not going to read the quotes. But Mark Henry basically told TMZ that he was accepting of Hogan being back, but he still thought he had a long way to go. And he also called the locker room at least the black performers in the locker room, 50-50 split on how they felt about it. The New Day, seemingly led by Kofi Kingston, uh, released an extremely long statement on Twitter. And basically what that statement said is, they're indifferent to him returning. They agree that based on his accolades and, and career, he belongs in the Hall of Fame, but that they can never forget his actions and what he said. And they will simply just choose not to associate it with him moving forward because, quote, you never trade your authenticity for approval. Great, great, so, great quote right there, by the way. And, and, and Titus O'Neil came out on Twitter just before we started the show and basically said, I agree with everything New Day said. I thought it was a very properly worded statement from them. And it's the right move. 
He's not someone who should be on TV. And if he does get back on TV eventually, it has to be after like another year and major steps behind the scenes and major steps with charities. This isn't good enough. But I almost don't want it to like we're saying like, well, we need to see him do more. And we do, by the way. And we would need some kind of interview on TV where you really believed him and you would need to see him do certain things that I'm sure WWE would play up. But I almost don't want to go that way because it always feels fake when when people go that way. And and you're caught in this in-between where you want to see somebody get a second chance, especially somebody you really like if you're a big Hogan guy. And I've always publicly touted Hogan's sins just as much as touting how much I love him, but it's just one of those things. It feels like a family member. So when something like this happens, my initial thought when he when he got thrown out for these words was, wow, that's awful. He should have gotten thrown out. But I was thinking at the time, I mean, this was a video that was captured like, what, like five years before it came out on a sex tape. And sometimes your initial thought is to be like, well, look, he didn't know he was being recorded. What if... What if any, anyone of any color was having beers with their friends and there was a microphone there and they didn't know it? Could something come out that could make them look bad? But again, go back and read those quotes. When you go back and read those quotes, it's not Hogan just dropping an N-bomb, so to speak. It's him actually saying, I am racist. Like, it's, 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 it's actually <laughs> really, really bad. You know what I mean? It's not Papa John referencing the N-word, which and is forget, still really bad. But And forget reading the quotes when you listen to it because it's on audio. That's when it's it not hurts. just a transcription. That's when it reminds I mean, me of the knife from 2015 twisting inside of you where you're like, I can't defend this. This is so bad. And sometimes no, and there's, and, and there's no reason to defend it. I think the only thing that can really be said is this. What he did was disgusting, was abhorrent, right? But you can't say that no, someone, no matter what age cannot have the opportunity to repent and possibly make better and apologize. That doesn't mean you have to accept it. That doesn't mean you have to like it, but People at any age can grow and learn and admit they were wrong. And you, even though it might feel phony, especially initially, if this guy goes on a two or three year thing and he does a ton of charity work and he speaks out about it and he really repents and apologizes and, and goes through this stuff, then it's going to be tough to say in two or three years. And I'm, I'm giving them the assumption that they can wait that long, but to never have this guy associated with the thing that everyone knows him for. So no, that's a good point. It, and look, and obviously it's just difficult. my bottom line is going to be more about, you know, repent and giving somebody another, another chance. So I want to see that, but what I don't want to see specifically, because WWE has a way, even in 2018, and we know this, Adam, of, we document it all the time of really bungling PC public things that should be no brainers. Right. And just really bungling it that I will not be able to tolerate if he's forced back on TV, look, I don't think you should take away his accolades. I think he should be back on the network in every possible situation that he's not on the network. Like, I don't think you remove him from posters, uh, you know, of, of WrestleMania history, none of that stuff. But I don't need to see him managing a black wrestler. And I don't need oh, to God, see it. Oh, God, no. I don't need to see it pushed down our throats that way. That's the thing that none of us need to see. None I can't of us. even imagine. I can't even imagine that. You know, I've made that joke in the past. Like, oh, the best way to repair this is to put him behind Big E and let Big E win this. No, that's not the best. You know, and if I said that, it was all in, in jest. But uh, again, just listen to the comments again. It twists a knife in your heart. There's going to be a place for him as a legend. There should be a place for him as a legend, especially if he does the legwork you mentioned. But let's please, WWE, handle this one appropriately. Please. Thank you. That's, ex that's exactly right. And while we wrap up that note, why don't we move on to the third part of this main event? G1 Climax 28, we'll get back to talking about wrestling. It kicked off this past weekend, three days of action, one of them being my birthday, July 16th. Yes, happy um, birthday. You old yet, Silver King? What number is this for you? No, I'm still in the uh, lower half of the 30s, and 
I think until I get to the upper half, I'm still considered young. Um, but they they paid off uh, for me this past weekend with some great wrestling. Great. I mean, I think that's really the best way to say it. Um, look, we have a month of this, okay? We're going to have dozens of matches, and we're going to want to talk about all of it, and we do that you know, one-on-one, you and I, offline. In terms of this show, I think the best way we can start is how good was that damn Omega Naito oh match? Like, that's really all I can say. How good is the damn B block? All right. And just real quick, they break it up into 10 guys in each block. As we know, it's a round robin tournament in each block. The winners face off in the finals for anybody who's not up on it with us. The first week, it really matters a lot because you're getting to see some of the early matchups, the potential for early matchups. You're getting a feel. I thought the first day, day one, the A kind of under-delivered a little bit, Adam. It was really entertaining. It really set the stage. But that B day, and it was really highlighted by that main event. And you have to remember, that was the final last year. Kenny Omega, Tetsuya Naito. What did they do? Like six stars? I mean, it was, you know, one of the, it was, it was one of the top five matches I've ever seen, Adam. And that's, it's almost absurd to hear the words come to your mouth, but it's really one of the best matches ever. And they run that back on essentially night one of the B block. And... In the end, I thought this was basically a five-star match straight up because the intensity was insane. Do you know what felt? It, it, the best way to, to describe this was it was like a heavyweight boxing match. The In the last five minutes of that match, the swings and momentum were so dramatic and so quick. There were so many oh-crap moments that you got caught in the storyline. You're not sure if they're really hurt in real life. And two guys selling out on night one. And this ultimately... Obviously, not every match in the G1 is a killer. The, the theory behind what makes the G1 so good is that most of the time they try to make every match great, and you'll have a lot of these that you didn't think were going to be great that turn out to be great. This is one that had to be great on night one, and boy, did it live up to expectations. Even, Adam, just that interplay in the beginning of the match when they mocked each other and did each other's uh, you know facial and hand gestures, everything about this was brilliant. As great as the Omega Okada series is, and we I know I... I believe it's great. It's the best series of all time. And as much as their last match deserved seven stars, which I actually was, I mean, not the first one ever, but before Dave even gave it seven stars, I gave it seven stars on this podcast. And I still hold that true. I am so much more entertained by Omega Naito than I am by Omega Okada. That's a great call. There's there's, there's, there's personality, right? Is it the personality? It's more athleticism. It's more personality driven. It's more give and take. I think with Omega Okada, there's uh, like Omega has control for a little bit longer. Okada has control for a little bit longer. This is back and forth, back and forth constantly. And I think also the I like Okada's character, you know, the Rainmaker character, which has been changed. And we'll talk about that. Um, But the charisma of Omega and the charisma of Naito make this for me the top potential rivalry in NJPW. And we've now seen it in back to back G1s. Three in a row, actually. They, they had or one three in, in 2016, row. yeah. It's just incredible. And that match was the best match. Like, I keep saying this because I, I gave the accolade to, what did I give it to? Um, Ali Murphy, right? I said it was the be- best match since Dominion. That was the best match since Dominion. And I will legitimately be shocked if any G1 match is better than that. Well, maybe the final two days we'll see them contend for that. I will there. be shocked, despite the, despite the matchups. I will be shocked if any of them I are think we could do that. better because I thought that I don't know that that's tough to say. What am I saying? I think we could do better. That was a brilliant match. I, I, <laughs> it's maybe because they've blown away my expectations. That's the thing. But you nailed it on the idea that both these guys have charisma and it works together. And look, Kenny can do comedy. Comedy's his background. 
with, with the Japanese promotion DDT. And Kenny has even said when speaking publicly, I think I heard him on Jim Ross's podcast last week when he talked about Meltzer's ratings, saying, look, you know, I'm humbled by Meltzer rating it so high, but he, he just wanted to point out, look, I don't even always agree with Dave. Dave doesn't rank comedy matches any good score whatsoever. I mean, look, Hogan Andre from WrestleMania 3, Dave gives negative five stars. You know why he gives negative five stars? Because there's it's a bad working match. But that's at least a three-star match when you consider the intensity and the story and what's going on. So, yes, Dave Meltzer's is not always perfect, but Kenny can do a lot of different things. That's part of what makes the G1 great. Because when you see Kenny against Toriano, you're going to see a comedic match. When you see Kenny against a big guy, you're going to see a power match. This was just the perfect match. And, Adam, we don't underrate Naito because we always say he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. But when you see a match like this with him, you have to stop and go, is he legitimately the third best wrestler in the world? Like, if we're going to say Kenny and Okada are probably the two best, and obviously you can put Styles and even Rollins and even Kota Ibushi, you can sub in and out based on your preferences. But should we at least team up and be like, Naito's no worse than the third best wrestler in the world, or the fourth? Well, I mean, well no, he, he's, he's one of the top workers in the world, and his character and gimmick is great. Promo-wise... What's, what's, what's the problem? You just nailed the, the no, whole... Pro, no, no, promo-wise and stuff, like... I don't know. He's he's top three worker in the world for me, like no question. And I think when we first started watching NJPW, which was about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, he was my favorite. And he still is, I think. I think he's my favorite. Um, but just overall, like all, all encompassing. And I really wanted him to win that match at Wrestle Kingdom. I wanted him to be the champion. And I still, despite the way it worked worked out for Omega, I still kind of think that was the wrong decision at the time. Like, he was so over and, and kind of needed that win. Um, but I love Naito. I, I just think he really has all of it. And you talk about, like, the matches against Kenny. The match against Jericho was great, too. His matches against Okada are amazing. There's really no faulting him. Um, but I, I kind of want to move off that match. It was that great. You guys need to watch it, obviously. I, I'm going to limit you to two. Give me two other bullet point headlines that you took away from this weekend. Well, I'll use one of my bullet points for one more match, and then I got a couple quick hitters. But the other match that needs to be <laughs> so you're, seen, I'm trying to, I'm trying to limit you to two. You can't, you can't limit me opening weekend of the G1. I mean, come on, this is, this is. I wanted to do the entire show about this and talk about well, nothing I have two else. Also, so I was, I was thinking you would do two, then I would do two. That's four, and then maybe there's some stranglers. But all right, go ahead, whatever. Look, the 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 co-main on the first night of the B Block, July fifteenth. For anybody that hasn't seen it yet, check out Kota Ibushi defeating Zack Saber Jr. It's about four and three quarter stars. I mean, it's right in that category. Um, it's such a great match because the intensity was off the damn charts in it, and they wrestled it in Zack Sabre's unique ground-based submission style. Like, Coda did a few jumps and, and showed his athleticism, but this is why it's so great, Adam, because you can wrestle different styles. They wrestled completely in Zack Sabre's style, and it was brilliant. This thing was just... The crowd was so damn hyped. We talk about bad crowds in Pittsburgh for WWE. The NJPW crowd is almost perfect because they shut up in the beginning. They don't do back and forth chants. They don't try to get themselves over, but they rise when in kayfabe they should rise. And they were risen multiple times late in this match. You got to watch this match. Kota Ibushi and Zack Sabre Jr. They put on a classic in day three of the G1 last year. This year, did you see the match? It's absolutely incredible. The intensity, the epic construction of how they alternated and countered each other's moves with the submissions. Did you not see it? Did it not? Did you not feel it, Adam? It's a good match. I thought it was a little bit overrated. Oh, my God. Are you hearing Jimmy? Are you hearing the words that are coming out of my mouth? Can you? I mean, I can hear Jimmy. I mean, what is happening here? Yes, I can. Wow. 
I'm fired up. It was up. a good match. It was a really good match. I, I, I think it, you're overrating it. Where's Nick Costos when we need him? This guy would be just... I'm sorry, Brian. We can't juice. criticize NJPW or not think everything's perfect. How could you criticize this match? It was absolutely fantastic. I'm not criticizing it. it I don't think it's as good as you're saying it was. So what it reestablishes is how far we came in one year. Rakota Ibushi last year didn't really have a character because he was a free agent. He put on a couple great matches in the G1, but now I have him as the favorite to win the G1 this year, and he looked like a superstar. And Zack Sabre, who they've spent the first half of this year building up, letting him win the New Japan Cup, he looked like an absolute star. If the G1 succeeds, Adam, it doesn't just give you an embarrassment of great matches. It elevates people to that next elite level. And already in the first three days, it's doing it. So a point I want to make is exactly that. We are seeing people make giant leaps in my eyes in just a couple matches. Are you ready for Hangman Page to be a star? Are you ready to see this giant Bruiser Brody type guy do moonsaults and do shooting star presses like he's doing? Did you see his match from day three with Michael Elgin? Yeah, that was one of my two points that I was going to bring up. Go ahead. Go ahead. T- take the damn floor. No, a guy's a superstar. Um, he has it all. He has the character work, which we have seen in being the elite. We're not really seeing it necessarily on NJPW, but we're seeing it on being the elite. He can work with everyone. doesn't matter your size, your ability, your um, you know, wrestling style. He can do it. And I thought it was one of the strangest booking decisions ever that he didn't win this match. Like, there, there was no good reason for it. You're not going to win every match in the G1, right? No one's going to really go undefeated, or even if they do, it's the guy who's going to win the whole thing, potentially, right? Well, you get so nine no matches, undefe- and if you win six, you usually have a chance to win the whole thing. But there was no reason for him to lose this. It just didn't make any sense to me. The way the match went down, um, I have to question that booking, but he is a star. Oh, my God. He's just El- – he's every match, he's jumping to a higher level, and you got to give Elgin credit. Look, he set some really bad headlines for, for a situation involving a girl that he's rightfully taken some slack. NJPW has not been pushing him. They put him in this G1. Did you see the shape he's in? He's still Big Mike. He's still weightlifting jacked, bigger than Big E, but he took off a ton of pounds. Do you see how quick he's moving? Adam, there are certain wrestlers in the A and B block that are must-see. It doesn't matter who they're – you know, you may be three days behind watching the G1 – but you get to a match with this guy, you can't miss it. Elgin's becoming that because are you seeing the intensity? This Hangman Elgin match, in the end, what was it? 3.75 stars, 4 stars at best, but it was physical and it was quick. And if these are the filler matches, then hot damn, this is going to be a great summer. I enjoyed it just as much as the Ibushi Sabre match. Oh, get the heck out of here. Anyway, Adam, there's a, I mean, a couple other points. Look, I think Tama running in to give Hangman Page his first win is almost like a WWE finish, but the, the statement they wanted to make make that these guys are dirtbag heels, him and Bad Luck Fale, and they don't care, was really strong. One thing about Tama, I do think he has main event heel potential, and he's 35, so you do have to kind of hurry, but he's got to get in a little bit better shape. We're not body guys on the show like Vince, but he's got to be getting on the Ico Pro and, and tighten up a little bit. Yeah, he's impressing me, just the character work and how good he is. Um, but I, I really don't think he's going to be more than a one-time challenger for Omega. Like, they can run the storyline long, and maybe the Bucks end up in a tag team match against Grills of Destiny, and maybe that's how they lose the titles or something like that happens. But in terms of him, I think it's a one-off title match with Omega. He loses, Omega moves on and goes from there. I don't necessarily know how much business there is in, there is in him in a heavyweight championship role considering everyone else that NJPW has. He swears My a lot, biggest... though. He swears a lot, though, and I love that. Oh, and I like that. Yeah, it's great because we're adults, and this is adult business. Um, My biggest takeaway had nothing to do with anything that you mentioned, though. It's Okada. And I love that they're having him play this happy-go-lucky, 
character with red hair bringing See, balloons it, to the I ring. I don't understand it. It's weird. I don't. I don't know. If no, I it's like not it. weird because what the the story that they're telling. And this is what I really like. This is where NGPW is special, and where Gato's special as a booker and a storyteller. He's been this heavyweight champion, right? He's carried the company on his back for what was it, two years and however many defenses. Set all the records. Lost the title. The pressure's off. He's finding himself. He's happy-go-lucky. He feels good. And because of that, he's losing matches. He's 0-2 with zero points after the first weekend. And now they have to make a decision on the direction they're going to go with him, which we don't know at this time. There's two ways. One, he continues losing. He picks up a couple wins, but just is not a factor. And he goes on a long-term losing streak or a failure streak where he's just not in the IC title picture. He's not in the heavyweight title picture, etc. Or... They immediately, after maybe another match or two, have him find it, oh, yeah. turn things around, and he ends up winning, winning the A block. Those are the two directions they can go. But either way, I'm interested. And while the matches aren't as good because he's wrestling a slightly different style, and he's obviously losing, so towards the end of the match, he's not getting the same type of offense that he would, I'm captivated by the storyline. And the most important reason, it's simple. Yeah, and, and I think... If he's gonna, I predicted him to win the A block, and if he, he if he goes on the run, he is from a kayfabe standpoint in a lesser block where there's a lot of guys who can take losses against him where it wouldn't be that epic considering how loaded the B block is, and that's part of my final point here. I want to say one more individual point though on a on a specific performer that we're seeing here, Adam, and it, I feel like I picked Kotobushi to win. I don't think anything's changed from what I think. I think they are presenting him as a star. The fact that he's wrestling Cody on the, I'm sorry, Kenny on the last day of the B block has to tell you that they're pushing him to win this and go to the finals. And it has to tell you that. There's no reason Kenny would go and win it. Kenny doesn't need the win. And what, he's going to pick who's going to face him at Wrestle Kingdom? So I like how Cody's been presented so far. I can't wait for a second match. And Adam, the imbalance is interesting, though, because it was like this last year, but I think it's worse the way they've balanced it now. The good news is that if you can't watch all these and you don't want to watch all these, but you want to get into it, you can't lose in the B, mat, B side. Adam, seriously, can you imagine the combinations? We have Juice Robinson, Kota Ibushi, Kenny Omega, Ishii, Naito, Zack Sabre, Toriano, Sonata, Tamatonga, and the worst of this group, Haruki Goto, who, by the way, is starting to impress me a little bit. There's really, I mean, pick a match there that you'd skip. I'm serious. Pick a match there that you'd skip. It's well, really what's hard. I'd probably skip Goto, Toriano, but... The what's interesting about that is Yano is not playing a comedy character anymore, and he's not using low blows. He's actually wrestling for real. Well, because so he was, that was re- he was wrestling his tag team partner, but then he lied, and at the end he started going back to it. Uh, yeah, he kind of did, but not the same way, not with the extensive amounts of comedy that we saw last year from his character. So I actually kind of enjoyed that. I thought he was going to be like the stain on the block, and he's definitely not. He, oh no, he's done so far so good so far and that finish of his tag team partner by the way Ishii kicking him in the nuts to end it and blocking the low blow himself when the referee was looking I mean it's just brilliant look the booking is so brilliant but the A block there's a lot less quality obviously Tanahashi you have to see every time you got to see Okada I'm liking Elgin as a must see but there's a lot of guys to skip Adam some of these guys are good b-sides but really they have the two worst wrestlers I know Makabe's a legend but he's washed now and how do you have Yoshihashi coming back in this tournament the guy like he's got awful hair He's not even in great shape. He's not even a great wrestler. <laughs> he has like, awful hair. That's the first comment. Like, I like, I, like, look, I mean, they got Minoru Suzuki. They certainly can make great matches, but there's combinations in here. Evil as well. Bad Luck Fale. There's a lot of combinations that you can skip in here. But one guy that you can't skip, and I want to close on this and get your opinion, Adam, because we've ripped this guy, which I thought rightfully, but we do have somebody who wants to know about it. 
It's a DM slide from Josh Bryant at JRock3639. He says, okay, so the Jay White negativity is officially over. I'm calling it. They are making this guy into a heel, and the crowd is actually booing him. It's perfect. He has taken out Okada and Tanahashi in the G1 so far. Can we say you're a fan now, please? And P.S., Josh says, the revolution is real. You're damn right it is. Adam, we rightfully ripped 25-year-old Jay White, given the Switchblade gimmick and not living up to it right away. But holy crap, he turned into a great heel. Did you? St- are you feeling what I'm feeling? Yeah, he went from the worst to maybe one of the best things in the G1 at the flip of a switch. And it all started with the Juice Robinson match. You're right. You're right. Great match. Great and breaking match. J- and breaking JR's rib and getting real life heat. And then he went back to that spot in his first match. I'm surprised they gave him this booking. It makes you start to wonder, are they just using it now to give him some star push and then do the Okada in the back door to win the block like you mentioned? Or... Is he a contender? I mean, he's got four points. Is he a contender to win this? Well, that's part of the Okada storyline as well, is that this guy's trying to take over chaos. That's part of it as well. So he's making a a strength play, you know, while also succeeding and cheating to win and so on and so forth. Uh, He's really been tremendously entertaining. I got to be honest, though. There's something about him that really is odd to me. He just looks like he's a baby, like he's pale skinned and has no hair. And it's just weird looking. And, And look, I'm not the... I'm not handsome Nick Costas here, right? I'm not trying to say I'm the most handsome guy in the world. <laughs> it's just something off-putting. I don't know what it is, but even when I let, watch him and like him, I'm like, yeah, he looks weird. Like, what's going on with this guy? You know who loves him, though, is handsome Nick Costas. has already texted me and said he's, like, the best heel in the world. Nick is fired up for this guy. Okay. He's Look, not the, the best heel in the world. The last okay, day of the ahead. A block is Friday, August 10th, when Jay White will wrestle evil. The headliner that night is Tanahashi against Okada, rightfully so. We'll see how that plays out on the A block. The final comment, I know I've said final already, but the final comment is about the commentary, Adam. We did get one more DM slide from at Jax Browner, who completely put over Kevin Kelly, Rocky Romero, and Don Callis. And Adam, I'm right with him. Nick said Callis's call of that Okada Omega fourth match was the best call of history. You can debate that all you want. But the point here is that they're finally committing English to every match in this tournament, which is smart. And they have a team now. And by the way, I thought Rocky Romero the first two days was pretty bad. I thought the third day he was suddenly fantastic and he's turning, he's intense and he's yelling and it's great. This is better than any WWE crew. Like the only person in WWE that's better than this, I think, is more Ronaldo. And I don't think I would have said that last year. But these guys put over the story while calling the moves and getting you excited to a level you should be without going too far over. It's perfection right now. Yeah, they're a very, very good crew. I totally agree. I think it works well. But it's, again, unnecessary to compare them to WWE's crews when we know like Raw is maybe the worst Raw announced team of all time, despite Corey Graves being there, because Coach is totally out of his element, and it's awful. SmackDown's pretty damn good. I don't have any issue with that. 205 is fine, and NXT's amazing, because I think Percy Watson and Nigel Nigel McGuinness are completely underrated. So I I would disagree. I don't like the comparison, and I would also disagree with it, but that doesn't mean I don't think they're doing a great job. They really are, and the fact that they are the ones doing English commentary for every single event is fantastic. Very good move by NJPW. They, uh, we got to get Kevin Kelly on the show. They are so damn good. I mean, they're just simple and they're old school, and that's why we love NJPW, the G1. Hey, watch it, everybody. You're going to have all month next week. Just super quick. It's going to be on Thursday the 19th, Friday the 20th, and also on Saturday and Sunday. Plenty of good matches. Do not miss it, Adam. Also, there's one other thing people should not miss. 
and that's to get the best highlights and the biggest sports stories right in their inbox every morning with the CBS Sports HQ newsletter. You already know CBS Sports HQ, the live 24-7 streaming sports network. Get it on your phone. Get it on your TV. You can watch me break down fights. You can watch Handsome Nick every evening do his thing, tell jokes, make wrestling references on NBA highlights. It's great stuff. And the newsletter every morning is packed with all the good stuff you need to see before you start your day. Just go to cbssports.com slash Daily to subscribe. Adam, since we've spent two hours talking about G1 and we just lost a few listeners, and by the way, good riddance, because this is what's happening in wrestling right now. We got to go to lightning round edition of Hero or Zero. Well, you can call it lightning round edition, but I actually care about this stuff. So we're going to talk about it, or at least I will, as much as I want. BC, let's start off here with Sasha Banks rescuing Bailey from the Dana Brooke-Alicia Fox match on Raw. Obviously, she was getting beat down, I think, outside the ring. Saved her. They wind up going to the locker room and in an emotional speech tells Bailey that she loves her. Hero or zero to whether this is going in a direction that we think or whether this is an absolute disaster. She didn't just say she loves her. She says she always has. Like, I tweeted out a picture of John Cusack holding up the stereo in the pouring rain, standing on his hood and say anything for all you 80s fans. Yes, Adam, this was enough of a purposeful tease to let you know that this isn't just another week of wishy-washy. Are they friends? Are they not friends? Are we doing stupid uh, friend counseling? No, this was a major turn in a new direction a new direction that has me fired the heck up and not for the reasons that you may think I would be fired the heck up. I think this was WWE's way of testing the water, seeing how people reacted, seeing if everybody got it, that this is a relationship angle turn that Sasha's revealing that I like you more than friends, even though she is married in real life to, to the guy who designs the costumes, a former wrestler uh, who works backstage for WWE. And you know what? Heck yeah to this, Adam, because it's about time in 2018 that WWE handles a serious storyline that affects real life, but does it in a responsible manner that isn't trying to make fun of it, that isn't trying to be ironic with a Chuck and Billy, that isn't trying to do flashes of gold dust doing creepy things, or even single white female Mickey James in a great feud, right, against... against uh, against uh, what's her name? It's Stratus, uh, Stratus. That was absolutely fantastic and handled well, but... We've never done something that Kenny Omega right now with the Golden Lovers and Kota Ibushi, we think they're doing in a very responsible manner that the wrestling public is embracing fully because we are adjusted now as a society. And if WWE wants to go in, they should go in and they should do it the right way. And you know what? They picked two really good superstars who I think could pull off. Am I 100% confident they'll go through with it? Or am I 100% confident that they'll know what they're doing to make it work? No! But Adam, I think this was a little bit of a put some bait on the hook, throw it out, and see how the public reacts. And this turned a never-ending story into something that has the potential, hyperbole alert, here we go, hyperbole alert, 
to become one of the greatest stories ever told in WWE because they have that long history, the historic history of changing the game in NXT for women's wrestling. Are you on the train with me? Who's coming with me? I think we're going in a really interesting direction. Yeah, I'm not on the train with you. Uh, so that, that was a hero. I'll take it from you, even though you didn't say the word. Uh, it's a zero for me. And it's mostly because I don't believe any of what you just said is going to happen. I think that they had Sasha Professor love for Bailey because the Bailey attempted heel turn a couple of weeks ago didn't work and she got cheered. So now they're going to have Bailey attack someone who's professed their love for her and try to get her over as a heel. Oh, That's that would be all so I think lame. it is. But you know they, but true, okay, then hero zero to the idea that they purposely made this like cryptic uh, to make you want to believe that. It's oh yeah, no, it's, it's definitely supposed to be cryptic. Um, cause you don't use the word love the way she did. I think she said it twice in that manner, uh, to not have that be a thought in someone's head, but ultimately they are dragging out this storyline. And if it does go in a different direction, like you're talking about, I will easily change it to a hero. Absolutely. But I have no confidence that they're going that direction. And even if they did, I don't necessarily have confidence that they could pay it off in four weeks leading into SummerSlam. So, and, and if she's going to profess her love for her, are they really going to split up, quote unquote, and have a fight at SummerSlam? Or is this going to last until WrestleMania? Like, what exactly are they doing here? And then why would you have Kurt Angle come in and say, hey, if you guys don't get along, because women apparently have to get along on Raw, Unlike the men who can fight each other, <laughs> I'm going to ship one of you off to SmackDown. That made no sense. I, I don't thought like we settled things in the ring on Raw, Kurt. Don't so we did I. I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever, that SmackDown angle. I don't know why going to SmackDown is a punishment when it's clearly the A show now. And I don't know that this storyline change is going to actually pay off the way you think it will. And so I'm, as I have been, I'm allowing them to tell me, and I'm being optimistic, like this is going to pay off in a one-on-one -on -one match at SummerSlam in Brooklyn where they get to rekindle the magic of the NXT TakeOver. But until that happens, this is a zero. I'm going to, I don't know why I have the confidence, but I'm going to hold out hope that they're woke and they can pull this off. And I think Sasha's the right actress who can pull this off. I want to see it. Look, there's people in the locker room. It's 2018 that, I mean, like, it's time. It's time, Adam. It's time to have a great angle like this, but... I don't think that angle needs to be inserted into a series where you know that these two are best friends. They have a legitimate history and you've broken them up and put them back together now thrice. But that's why really but this word, explains but. why they got mad at each other, because Sasha said in the segment this week, you know, I'm not good at sharing my feelings. And, and but there's no reason they should have to go to counseling just because they're women. And there's no reason they should have to get along just because they're women. True. And there's no reason that one should have to change brands if they don't get along. All good points, but that will be repaired. It would all make sense. This could be a great story, Vince. If you're listening, don't ruin this and don't bring Hulk Hogan into this, by the way. No, I'm not. Don't wave me on. Hulk Hogan should not show up in this angle under any means necessary. Why there, would he show up in this angle? Because we just talked about what? No one, no one in the world but you had that thought in their head. Well, that's why, because it was a joke. Just like we just said, the Hulk Hogan situation would be fixed if he doesn't show up managing a black wrestler and they try to shove it down our throats. Don't bring Hulk Hogan in here to try to repair his situation because suddenly you're aligning him with everything that's woke. Just do it the right way, Vince. All right. Thank I have you. no idea what you're talking about. Go ahead. Oh, wow. You gotta wake up. You gotta wake up and smell it. Come on, Hero Zero Number Two. Adam Ronda Rousey leaves her ringside seat at Extreme Rules, sitting next to her UFC husband Travis Brown, who's marked out in her gear. 
to attack Alexa Bliss and Mickie James. She returned to Raw the next night through the crowd, Roman Reigns style, and did it again, agreeing to a SummerSlam title shot against Bliss if she stays away from the champion and completes another two weeks added on to her suspension from Kurt Angle, Hero or Zero, on Rousey's performance Sunday and Monday, and that we are going in the right direction. So I'm pretty sure it's just one week, just to clarify, one week additional suspension. Um, But I will give this a convoluted hero, and it is for this reason. Business picks up when Ronda Rousey is in the arena. The crowd is fully into her. She looks fantastic both times on attack. Um, Now, we can talk about her braided mohawk hairstyle and the amount of eye makeup she was wearing Monday night that confused the absolute hell out of me. I don't know what the hell that look is. I thought she had a mohawk. it was like braided. It was like braids going in rows. It was uh, bad. It was bad. It was very weird. It, I didn't like it. Um, that said, the angle. I mean, why would you reward her with a title match for breaking her suspension twice? That doesn't really make sense. Obviously, the match at Extreme Rules, which we didn't get to talk about, thank God, was a cluster. It was basically a tag team match for the women's championship, and then you added Ronda Rousey in, who beat the hell out of Mickey James. Only for James to like get back up immediately and hit her with a chair, kendo stick. Kendo I don't even remember stick. what it was. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so again, convoluted. The booking really doesn't make sense. But it's a hero because Ronda Rousey is amazing in the ring, and she is totally working this character. Yeah, and it's a hero because they're doing they're they're staying on the right path. They're not letting her talk a lot. They're having her shown pissed off all the time, and she has a certain speed and style to the way she executed her moves that really is unique to her comparative to any women or male in the company. She's really becoming that good in in the crispness of how she does it. She really looks like she's hurting people, but I think she's doing it in a way where she's not. I think she's just really found out how to snap these moves with her athleticism, and it's really fun to watch. Absolutely. All right, let's move on. Undisputed Era regained the NXT Tag Team Championship last week on the regular show when Tyler Bate threw in the towel to save Trent Seven and Mustache Mountain. Uh, from he was in a submission hold. I should have mentioned that. Hero zero to this being among the greatest non takeover matches in NXT history. We want to assign some form of greatness to everything that happens week to week that we like in every sport in wrestling. Well, that was the third greatest segment Raw's had this month, right? But yes, <laughs> yes, Adam. I mean, are you kidding me? This is a monster hero. This might be the best non-takeover match in NXT history. That's like so bold. Didn't even do the research to back it up. But off the top of my head, have I ever seen this intense of a match on a regular week-to-week broadcast? Not on Raw or SmackDown, or if we have, certainly not in many, many years. This was old-school booking with an old-school crowd that was so damn marked out. But there was legitimate NJPW G1 type of stuff inserted into the match. A lot of little oh things. Oh, my God. Go ahead. Keep going. I, I, like, you're saying that without, without having realized it. Do you, you, you see all those little spots they did? Is what we're seeing in every single match at the G1. And I loved it. All these little things. The the Snapdragon uh, uh, suplex. All these little things that they're doing. Sitting across from each other and just slapping the crap out of each other. Like, all this little stuff we just saw. Nkota Bushi, Zack Sabre, they're bringing this stuff out in here, but yet it feels like old school territory era. There were three hot tags in this match. 
Mauro Ronaldo was off the damn chain in this match. It wasn't even one of his better ones in terms of flow and delivering the right word at the right time. It was just him screaming the entire match. Adam, the way Trent Seven sold this injury and the pain on his knee and the way that the announcer sold that he may never walk again, let alone wrestle again. And obviously they had to set that up to set up the emotion of Tyler Bate throwing in that towel. This is like WrestleMania stuff. And it was on a random Wednesday pre-taped on regular NXT. Holy crap, every single person got over. The referee got over. He was selling the pain and emotion in his face. This was a damn near masterpiece and one of the most emotional matches I've ever seen. Yeah, it was great. When you're saying non-takeover, are you also discounting uh, like tournaments? Yes. Like either of the UK tournaments? Yes. Okay, because Tyler Bate, um, Pete Dunne, those matches that were not on NXT takeovers. Well, that one was. the one match. The one match. Oh, well, the, well, yeah, the first one. Uh, that was definitely better than that. I mean, not saying this was bad, but that was like one of the best matches I've ever seen. I loved that match. This match was great. The tag, the original tag team match at that event was great. The Undisputed Era versus British Strong style match was great. And the Adam Cole, ah, who the hell did he face? I'm forgetting. The Adam Cole match was great as well. Yeah, but they weren't on These, this level. They weren't on this level. Like, are no, you kidding me? Th- no, this was this was fantastic. Well, th- that other tag team match was really good. These six guys are incredible workers, and they work amazing together. So this was – I'm going to give you a hero that it was among the greatest well, dude, because I, it well, was. I want to stop you for a second. I don't even want to link to any of those really good matches you said except for the the Dunn one. Pete Dunn they one all play was, into the story, but they play into the storyline here. But my point was this specific match, not even, don't even take the workers into account. Just talk about the way it was booked and the way the crowd reacted. There was something special in the air in this match that was the kind of intensity that you would see at WrestleMania or that you would see in no- Greensboro, North Carolina in 1987 at some crazy house. You're like, yeah. it was like in better than, okay, maybe the match wasn't better than some of these other great ones we've seen this calendar year, including Japan, but the intensity in this match was more intense than I've seen anything in so long. Yeah, but that's in large part due to the storyline that they told us during the UK tournament with these six guys. That that plays into it. I mean, it's the same reason why Okada Omega 4 was a – the reason it was a seven-star match, it was great wrestling, but the storyline was fantastic as well, and it, there were tons of callbacks. There were callbacks in this match as well. So this was a, a great match. I'm not disagreeing with you at all, but those other matches do play into why this one was so great. But if we're grading this one among the greatest uh, non-takeover NXT, very specific here, matches of all time, <laughs> it's definitely up there. The part I'll disagree with you, it wasn't NJPW style. It's just good well, no. wrestling. Well, you're, you're misquoting me. So basically it was 80s territory, uh, uh, like classic tag team psychology style. But there were specific spots in the last five minutes of the match that were very NJPW. And that, by the way, is a compliment because Trips is taking what's great around the world and bringing it into WWE. It's Vince that won't let it happen from how we perceive it on the outside looking in. It's the wrestlers booking. It's the wrestlers having the freedom to call the match the way they want to call it and produce it the way they want to produce it. And some of the elements that NJPW uses are also used at PWG and all these other really cool indies across America. It's not specifically oh, NJPW you, you love style or NJPW moves. NJPW, it's good any wrestling. chance you get. If you got a chance to undercut NJPW and protect I'm not Vince, undercutting them, but you, you can't give them credit for everything in the world, man. I'm not I, undercutting. Do you watch these shows. They deserve all the credit. 
This okay. is how we should be watching our wrestling, and you know this deep inside your black heart. You know this. Give me the next one. Oh, hero or zero, Adam, number four. Kane, your guy. He appears to be written off TV <laughs> be now. my guy? Following a walking boot that he returned to at Extreme Rules for the tag team match opposite the Bludgeon Brothers, and they lost, of course. He barely showed up for the match. And on SmackDown, it was all a setup to escalate the Daniel Bryan-Miz feud when Miz TV came out with basically a Team Hell No funeral and Miz incited Daniel Bryan to the point that he ran in and attacked everybody. So hero zero, that if we're going to Miz Bryan at SummerSlam, which we think, are we going in the right direction based on what we saw Tuesday night with Miz, with Kane out, and now Miz and Daniel Bryan front, front and center? I mean, it's not a question that if, if we're going to it, it's pretty clear that we are. I think it was fine. Like, uh, they had to tr- – they. You can question whether the Team Hell No reunion should have happened in the first place, but the way they went in and out of it, and I I suggested this last week, I think on the show or two weeks ago, that it was going to be quick and be over after Extreme Rules. Thank God. Okay, so they did exactly what we hoped. They It was another way for Brian to get hot and get attention, sell a little bit of merch, uh, get some attention on the pay-per-view, and now they're moving on, they're splitting him up, and he's going one-on-one with The Miz. I thought the segment itself, the uh, eulogy, I mean, look... Booking-wise, it was a bad idea. But The Miz is so damn good that every moment of it worked. Like, even when he was walking to the ring and nicely shaking the hands of the fans for attending the morning, you know, of this team going down, the mask being on the dummy in the ring with the black wreath, it was really well done, and it really shouldn't have been. And then Miz was given the opportunity. You saw him turn on a dime, snap again on Daniel Bryan, call him an overrated wrestler, that his return has been a failure, and all of the things that the Smarks are saying, he completely brings it in. Daniel Bryan gets his hot moment where he sneak attacks the Miz from behind, stands on the top rope. I know you hate to say it, because God forbid you give WWE any credit, PC. They're doing this right, hero. Yeah, they're doing this right because they're letting Miz absolutely dominate and just be Miz, and we tell you every week. I told you so. Yes, we did tell you. I mean, he's so... I told yes, each Mitch. and every one of you how this would end. I- yep, it would end with you absolutely carrying this. And, of course, Daniel Bryan was good when he ran in. But, I mean, can we just have Miss TV every week? I mean, he's just so damn good. I'm ready for this feud. I love that Kane's out. I am so dialed in and ready. I love that segment on Tuesday. I want to see that 15-minute video package you're predicting. We'll see SummerSlam. I want to see them wrestle again at WrestleMania. I want to see everything. I want it all. I don't care how. I want it now, Adam. That's what I'm talking only, about. In my opinion, the only way they can ruin it is by not telling the story. If they just make believe this is a current storyline that's happening and they don't go back and talk about the last three years, then they are screwing the fans. But I have no reason to think they're not going to do that because video packages are what they do best. It's true. All right. Let's let's finish up here. New NJPW president Harold. How do you say his last name? I'm trying to figure that out. I can't even find online. Is it Mage? Mage? Mage. Let's call him Mage. Let's call him Mage. Uh, new NJPW president Harold Mage announced a joint G1 Supercard with Ring of Honor, which will go down next April at the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden, the night before WrestleMania 35, competing directly with NXT Takeover. And when we say direct, I mean the same night Takeover. I think we'll begin like two hours earlier, but still. Doesn't change same anything. City, same Hero, city. Yeah, same night, uh, same city. Hero or zero to whether this serves as being legitimate competition in the revolution. I feel like you should have asked me this question. Go ahead. Well, I, 
Yeah, yeah, absolute hero. And I think there's a there's a there's even a deeper debate here. I always say the debate and the competition and the revolution is critical because and that's right because look, none of these guys are going to compete against WWE financially. They're never going to get the, that TV deal or have that type of revenue. But they're going to have to compete a little bit financially to actually make an, a larger critical impact. Adam, we've said all year when you and I have debated whether this revolution is real and what things need to happen and Jericho needs to have a match, he needs to come back and they need to have an all-in that matters and they need to have a cruise that matters. And by the way, we're going to see the Young Bucks and Chris Jericho and the cruise main Wait, event. Wait, when have we ever said when have we ever said they need to have a cruise that matters? Well, we've just said we've basically just When have said, we ever said the word cruise in relation to wrestling? I ever. guess my point on this is this. You've always been like, well, it's not a revolution unless they get to this point. And I've been like, well, you can't get to that point unless you have these little blocks that need to happen. And Okada Omega needed to happen and needed to rule on top of Wrestle Kingdom happening with Jericho and Dominion and all this great stuff, okay? Well, this is the next step. This is a major step. A monster step. In one sense, you can write it off and just say, well, doesn't Ring of Honor already compete against NXT every Saturday of WrestleMania weekend in the same city of WrestleMania and piggyback off of the fact that all the fans are there? Yes, but they don't do it at New York's Madison Square Garden where WWE refuses to run pay-per-views because it's so expensive, and they don't do it teaming up with NJPW. Wow. This is a really big news. This is really big news, especially because Vince tried to block it recently. This is giant news because WWE putting WrestleMania in New York is coming home. Like, that's what it is. This is their city. This is their damn arena. Like, this is monster news. And it's not just Ring of Honor. That's the key. Because you and I don't love Ring of Honor on the level of NJPW or think that, despite all the money they have with Sinclair, that they're necessarily going always in that right direction or have the right horses. Well, this guy Harold Mage, whoever he is, is really showing himself in a short time that he has the vision to fill in those blanks, Adam, where we say, NJPW's great, but they almost don't know how great they are, and they don't know how to come into the U.S. and really make an imprint because they care too much about what's going on in Japan and serving those fans. This guy doesn't. He grew up in Japan. He's not Japanese, but he loves the NJPW product, and he's got business history being a top executive at a toy company, and he's got world exposure, and he's ready to move the next key piece in this revolution. And that key piece is to knock on WWE's door basically right in their face. Because if they have the type of card we think they can have, they can give you about four or five absolutely cannot miss matches in the damn garden that you and I are going to be in spots where it's not like, well, do we want to go to NXT TakeOver New Orleans or go to see Kenny Cody and know that we're only going to get one match? No, this is like, I don't even care what, NXT could possibly put together. I need to see history. I need to see Kenny Okada, Naito, all of our friends at MSG. This is real competition, an absolute hero. Harold Mage, however you, Major, however you say your name, <laughs> that's my guy right there because he gets it. He has, Adam. It's... He knows what he's doing. See, when we talk about the revolution, you have me um, on the side of, hey, I need to see it to believe it. This is called seeing it. This yes! right here. When you have, and it's for a couple reasons. It's because of what it says to WWE. We're not backing down. They could have taken that when, when WWE pushed back, because WWE didn't threaten MSG, or they couldn't, you know? They just said, hey, we don't want you to do this. And MSG, it seems, initially was like, hey, we don't want to risk our relationship with WWE over this. But when they didn't back down, and MSG eventually said, hey, you know what? This is going to be a really big event. That type of business, 
that is where an impact is made and Vince needs to wake up. What I find interesting is that WWE, with all of their money, yes, it doesn't make financial sense, okay? But didn't just say, eh, we'll put, we'll put TakeOver there and we'll pay whatever it costs to stream it and who cares and screw you. So WWE almost like, I, I bet you MSG gave them the opportunity. They said, hey, why don't you put an event here that night? Otherwise, we want to book the spot. Wow. So, so WWE... Because this wouldn't matter as much. So what you're saying is, if this was flipped and NJPW made the announcement that we're going to Barclays Center, it would be cool and it'd be great. It would never go to Barclays Center. Right. But, but it matters. This matters because it's at Madison Square Garden. Right. So I'm saying I never thought about if it had been the opposite. If WWE had already put NXT and MSG and they were like, well, we'll go to the Barclays or whatever. You're right. Or the Javits Center or whatever, something smaller. It wouldn't have mattered because it's not them going inside of WWE's house and playing with things and opening their underwear drawers. And as and as someone who appreciates history, it's and I don't mean this in a negative. This is going to sound negative, but I don't mean it that way. It's kind of offensive to me. And because it's offensive to me, it's probably really offensive to Vince. It bothers me that another organization is running Madison Square Garden because I know the importance of that arena to the history of the product. We may like NJPW now, but we're WWE fans, all right? This is what we've watched our entire lives. WCW fans, too, let's be honest. Uh, you were, not me. Um, so it's offensive to me. But that's why it works, and that's why it matters. This is the smoke signal of, hey, we're in the area. Whereas with New Orleans, we were there. Sure, people went to that show, but TakeOver blew the doors off that ROH show. This matters because it's NJPW, not just ROH. If ROH had booked this as a solo show, it would have been like, oh, that's weird. Um, I don't really like it. And good luck, I'm still not going. But it's because it's New Japan in the building. That's what matters. And we wanted these two companies to team up and do something like this. This is such a great move. Now, to close on this, Vince is competitive, right? He put Shawn Michaels as a guest referee in an, NJ, in an NXT house show in San Antonio that night to compete against what Ring of Honor was doing with Kenny Omega. How do they counter-promote this TakeOver card? Obviously, they have this, this NXT era is so loaded that, in theory, they could just make a great card with who they have. But if you're Vincent Paul, do you get in a room and you say, all right, we got to we got to make the to uh, Shawn Michaels come back and f wrestle Johnny Gargano in the main event. What the heck do you do? Oh my god! <laughs> what the I heck mean, they do have, you do? They have the horses to do something like that. I don't think they try to counter program. I think they say people love this NXT. We're going to sell out the Barclays. Screw you. Do your thing. Do your little show. You know what I and do? then when the show's great and receives amazing critical acclaim, then they say, oh, "WrestleMania 36." We're going to have to figure something out here so and make, make sure that doesn't point. happen again. I think they let this just go. So they have the horses where if they just did NXT only like normal, it could still outshine the NJPW Ring of Honor show. There's no question. But what if they panic, and it will look like a panic, but what if they panic and they say, we're taking big name main roster guys, including some who might not have a big angle going into Mania, and we're putting them, we're going to do... Next level, we're going to take an old guy and put him against Velveteen Dream. Take another guy, old guy, put him against Ricochet. Take another old guy. And it's like an invasion. It's like a reverse invasion. Well, most of their really big names are seemingly have storylines for SummerSlam. And you would assume will be in the picture for WrestleMania. So I don't necessarily know that you go in that direction. And it also bastardizes your product a little bit. People like NXT because it's NXT. It's okay if there's one dude in there. Like when Cesaro came back. Right, yeah, but Vince they likes maybe... to break things and bastardize them. And what if Vince says, "All right, let's take the N N NXT alumni, the group of like Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, who sometimes, by the way, don't get pushed at Mania as it is, and Nakamura, and we say they come back and knock on the door and say, "Hey, we're the best era of NXT. 
but now you guys think you are. So we're going to have a series of matches. It's going to be the damn NXT Cup, all right? Whatever. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying some things. They're going to have to book a hell of a card for me to go to that over the NGPW. That said, NGPW needs to book a hell of a card, too. Because if they are going to, they're going to sell out the building, okay? I have no question about that. But if they're going to sell out the building just based on the name value of NJPW and they don't give us matches that matter, I'm not going to go to that show. Like, I'm going to go to the show assuming it's going to be a loaded card that we're going to be really excited about. But if they give us, like, well, think about it like this o- the, Omega Cody again. The G1 like, Supercard shows that have been on Access, the last two, have been really good. They've been loaded. So if this is that. On steroids, basically, because it's MSG. I, I don't think, dude. I don't think this last G1 USA card was very good. It, the last two matches were good, and and the angle after the last match was very good. But it was. I mean, that didn't compare. All right, with they, they had better star. All right, come to on. To your point, they could have loaded it more star heavy, and obviously they can bring in a. I mean, look. So here's the thing: they can go as far as bringing in a Punk for one night. If Daniel Bryan doesn't end up signing, I know there's been a lot of news around that that might be true or might not be true. That could be another thing, right? Jericho could be another thing unless he wants to stay on, on Vince's side, which he probably will. But the, it's a lot of potential to be great. I can't wait to see what they do. Well, heck, they could give us Omega Okada 5. Like, they might just say, let's put our biggest guns on the table. Like that, well, that's they, what it's going to It's going to depend on the, the, the personalities that are there, which will probably be everyone, and the matches, whether they matter and whether it looks like a solid card. I expect it too. Would they have done so. this if All In didn't sell out in, in three seconds? Would they have tried this? Probably. Um... If All In was a failure, no. But because, it, I mean, it was a moderate, even if it was a moderate success and they sold 8,000 seats or 9,000, you know, whatever, um, it's different because it's NJPW. Like, people keep, for, like, this isn't the Ring of Honor show. This is going to sell out and it's such a big deal because it's New Japan on the East Coast of the United States. All right. On the way out, we always touch the field spots. NXT was fantastic last week. Tommaso Ciampa made me pop so huge. You have Aleister Black in a conversation with Gargano. He black walks through the doors and he gets attacked by Champa. Adam, you have said to me in Slack recently on private message, Champa's the best heel in all of wrestling. And at first, I'm like, "You're crazy! Why would you say that?" I go, "Wait, you know what? You're absolutely right. Nobody knows their character and channels it better. And WWE main roster doesn't let people be true heels anymore. And that's the main reason why when Champa attacked Black, you know what it felt like? It felt like a hospital scene in a Halloween movie when Michael Myers just appears out of nowhere and just takes somebody out. It was brilliant. I just was so gleeful smiling watching it. It was amazing. Turning on that note, I thought that Randy Orton this week got some incredible heel heat that we have not seen in the WWE main roster for quite some time. I liked the appearance at Extreme Rules, interfering after the match. Not interfering, attacking uh, Jeff Hardy after the match. It was a nice little turn because you thought he was going to go after Shinsuke. That was cool. Um, and it was nice to have his return. And I love that he didn't interfere actually in the match, so it didn't affect the outcome. That was fantastic. And then Tuesday night on SmackDown, they turned it up to a 12 <laughs> with Orton going absolutely ape on Jeff Hardy, slamming his head into the steel steps four times. I think he stepped on it another time and then t- and then putting his finger in the gouge hole in his ear and pulling on it like he was trying to rip his ear off his body. That is real heel heat, and we have not seen that in a long time. That hit all of the feel spots. It was incredible. That was so good. I thought he was going to rip the ear. I thought they were just going to go for it, and he was going to rip the ear open. Like, that was, <laughs> like, I was like, I'm not watching WWE anymore. This is something intense. This is a horror movie. I love it. All right, follow us on all the channels that you know. Hey, next week, by the way, guys, programming note. 
guy's turning 40. This guy's getting old. Next week, we're going to have some form of a show for you in some form. Don't worry about it, but I will be away most of next week. You may or may not hear my voice in some form, but you do trust the fine Silver King to take you out. And you know how we always end it. Silver King, I'll pass to you. Goodbye, and good night, Ben. We out.